Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp. One of the clubs they used to say, um, if, if you're not quiet for, for the turn, if you're not quiet for turn... There'll be no bingo. <laughs> All the people like from the church were outside protesting on the opening night here at the local in Bergen, at, 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 um, at, the, at the local theater. Same at the Shaftesbury Theater in London. There were people, Mary Whitehouse, remember? I mean, all those people, and it was, it was a furore. A furore, it's quite extraordinary what it did around the world. Nobody in the seventies wanted that. They wanted the, they wanted the the, the the punk rock, but I didn't care. We met a lot of people in restaurants, and I spent a vast amount of money in restaurants as well. <laughs> and we sat down. It was one of those. This is Freddie Mercury. This is Peter Straker. This is David. Like that, and we said hello to each other. Freddie was in his first, like <laughs> like that. We used to play tennis together because I was a, I was a member of the, of the club called Hurlingham Club. They called um, Clodo, my manager, and she said. Could you ask uh, your client, um, uh, Peter Straker, and his friends if they wouldn't, if they could wear not such short shorts? <laughs> Peter Straker, welcome. This is an immense pleasure because I love interviewing people who've had such full and diverse and and really, I don't know, wonderful lives. And are still living their life to the full. And <laughs> you, you are definitely one of those people. Um, I would, first of all, though, I would like to, I've got to take you back because part of my podcast is always about childhood. And tell me how you actually came to live in Britain because you came to Britain when you were a young child. I came to Britain when I was about 11, I think, 10, 11, something like that, with my with my um, maternal grandmother and two siblings. Um, apparently, my parents got divorced and my mother won custody. And my mother came to England and she was studying voice because she was a leader singer and she was quite young. And, and she went to New York first and then she came to study with, um, I can't, I don't know the people. I must find this out because they were quite well known. And, and then she also ended up um, in Switzerland, in Geneva as well. So that's that's how I came here. And so we came- did your grandmother bring you up then? Yes, no, 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 my grandmother brought us over, but my mother and grandmother brought us up, yeah. So you were brought up then in a, in a musical family? Yeah. So what do you remember of that? What sort of, uh, because that's obviously something that, that imbued into you. Well, it's, what I can remember is um, when we first came to England, we were, um, 
we moved into a very tiny flat um and it was uh and then we moved in up, up up into the suburbs and we um pianos and music and that's all i grew up with classical music basically the background was classical and rather bombastic sometimes and a lot of opera and, and um a lot of verdi around the house and and stuff so we just sung you know as children you just do what your parents do so you sing along with them and rock and roll was something much later <laughs> what, what sort of values did your mother install in you pretty strict um jamaican tough yes it was life was not when i say tough it, it there were there were rules and we abided by them it's bringing up three boys who were very close um in ages it's a lot for women to bring up because boys growing up testosterone is it's it's and lots of fighting and lots of no i'm doing this way and no 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 no, no you're doing it my way and you that is the way you do it that's that that is what you do when you're 16 and you know what you can do you can leave home go away if that's what you want go but until now you do what i say so we were quite strict <laughs> were, you, were you the youngest the middle one or the eldest i'm, I'm the eldest Oh, so you were the biggest tyrant then. <laughs> I was I, I was the one, the eldest one got a lot of junk thrown at him. I remember when I was, when one of my brothers, I said, but I wasn't allowed to do that, but you're making, he can do that. You know, it's all of that. It's, it's, it's yeah. So <laughs> I had a good childhood. I mean, I, I enjoyed my childhood really on the, on the whole. I really had a good time. Have you ever looked back and thought about where your drive may have come from? I don't know if I have that much of a drive, Steve. I, I wonder about it. I really do. <laughs> For someone um, who's had a career which spans from 1968 to the present, I would say you have somewhat of a drive. <laughs> maybe I've been lucky. Maybe I've been a bit lucky as well. <laughs> I mean, there are things that you want to do and and, and you like, and, and some things that you just happen to 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 just fall into. And then you 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 either decide I, I want to do that and you go ahead or or you you just ignore it as, as I've ignored lots of things in my life, and I probably thought I should have done them. So I, it's very difficult to to assess because looking back at in in things we revalue things, but it, it's from a it's not from a reality perspective. It's just oh whoa, whoa. but there's no reality because the reality is what you do, what you're living at the time. I mean, when I've ever I've I've seen interviews or read interviews with you it and you mentioned it there things that you fall into you always suggest that you fell into getting an audition for hair but what is really the truth were you what had you already started to perform what what moves had you made before uh well i decided i wanted to be an actor and i and, and i decided i was going to perform and i went to my mother knew somebody in a very big um um agent called annie calendar and she was had a big agency in regent street in and and and, and in, in in the 60s and i i went there to have a meeting with her um and it it was looking back now it's quite bizarre because i sat down with this lovely lady and we talked and what i wanted to do and i wanted to be an actor and she said um, why don't you go to drama school and i said i don't need to go to drama school i can act <laughs> I love go. the bravado. That's there you go. Well, that's the youth. That's youth. And and I I remember that with and um so she was she was very polite and then she said, "Look, I've, I have a young um I have a young um agent who's just joined me and I think he is the one <laughs> that should work with you." And um his name was David Dion and he's not with us anymore. And I was at the time I then went decided there's a friend of mine who said I could sing. So I started to do little clubs around England and they were called working men's clubs, really. And I thought, well, look, I'll go and sing in these places because I'll get some experience. And um, particularly about hair, I was I was singing in a club, in a working men's club somewhere down in Wales and um, near Cardiff or Swansea, I can't remember. And um, he called me and he said, and uh, you know, it was on, telephones I had they had to call you in, in in the digs that you were staying in and 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 he said there's a show coming uh, there's a show and I put you up for it to audition for it and he didn't tell me what the name he said will you can you come up um can you come up on on Thursday or Friday 
So I, I got on a train, I came up to London and he came with me and uh, I think we stood in a queue and um, this was all new to me. I had no idea what I was doing. And I got on and, and, uh, and I sang and the song I sing, which I remembered was, was Birth of the Blues because I was a great admirer of Sammy Davis Jr. And so I thought that was one of the coolest songs in the world to sing. <laughs> and I mean, that, that's the song I sung. Working in those um, working men's clubs, singing in those working men's clubs, I mean, that can't have been easy because then they were notoriously tough and the audience didn't hold back. They, they didn't. <laughs> they were all right, though, you see. I mean, uh, they probably hadn't seen anything quite like me before. I mean, in Wales they did a little bit, but um, there was a, a, a lovely lady I met and, 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 and her husband or manager, and she, I remember her name was Cindy Williams, and she was quite a big singer down there in those days. And she took me under her wing a little bit. And um, we, uh, I, I sang, and they would, she would introduce me and things like that. So I'd go on, so everybody would go a little quiet. And um, I, I suppose, looking back, I mean, I had a pair of lungs on me. <laughs> So, which is good, and so I used to sing, especially in Wales. They like you singing down there, and I used to sing, and I used to sing songs like um, from West Side Story, like Tonight, Somewhere, Maria, and 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 those. So I I sang show songs, and Old Man River, you know, those that sort of wonderful combination, just songs that I'd heard, and I went out and bought the sheet music in Denmark Street. <laughs> <laughs> for one and sixpence or whatever it was and just took it and I went I went went with a piano player and a, uh, and a drummer and we picked up the rest of the people on the way so that's that's what I remember yeah and it, it, it was it was good fun it was quite tough as well some clubs were really I mean they didn't they didn't want anybody to sing they wanted to drink and um they in in the north of England one of the clubs they used to say um, if if you're not quiet for for the turn, if you're not quiet for turn, there'll be no bingo. <laughs> and I found that quite. Uh, I suppose I, it was rather. I was rather unhappy with that. I, the, the thing the thing that really bingo was first, and I was second. But yeah, to, to get to bingo, they had to be quiet. We used to. We we had to go sometimes. I did lunch times as well on a Sunday, and it was just packed with 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 blokes because women were cooking. For them to roll in at three o'clock. <laughs> no, it, 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 yes. Hair was revolutionary and it came at a time where the censorship laws had changed. And in a sense, it came at a time where the world was changing. How important was it, do you feel, not only for your career, but how important do you think hair was as a musical in terms of society? Well, I think it revolutionized in, in one, it, it revolutionized because we worked with a great director who I was, and we were so lucky because when I got, after we got here, I, 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 most of us, we auditioned nine times for that show. And when we got here, we worked with, with a, um, a, a director called Tom O'Horgan, who was part of the La Mama troupe in, in, in New York. And uh, my friend Annabelle, Annabelle Levington had worked with him as well. So he came with a lot of information. And we had a three month rehearsal period by accident because of the laws of opening the show before the, uh, the, it, uh, before the Lord Chamberlain's office was abandoned or, or, or made extinct, which was going to be in, um, I think it was the October or the end of September, I think it was, um, of 1968. So we learned a lot from, from Tom and about theatre and what theatre was like and and what it was had become with with working with microphones on stage live microphones like you were doing a show and a live band on stage and and this is all new because I had never done a show before so it just became part of my world and my reality and so it and and it, and, it, and, it, and of course with the language and it was slightly irreverent as you know it I mean it it poked fun, but at religion and, and the standards of what people thought and how parents behaved to their children. And, um, and, 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 it, and it, it put together um, the, the, the biggest thing, I, to, to, today we call it diversity, but it put black and white people together, Indians, Chinese, all together on the stage as a unit. And we were called a tribe. And that I remember. And 
you met so many people from all different parts of the world and 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 people in our show there were a lot of west indians because i was from jamaican and, and a lot of uh, a couple of jamaicans and people from um saint lucia and 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 and, and, and it was it's just that was fantastic i remember talking to jimmy helms and he said yes. he was also i don't know whether he was in the same production he was also he was in america in, in here i think and yeah. um he told me that this was the moment that changed his life because the reaction to it and i remember as a young child uh, Hair was, you know, front pages, the nudity, the, you know, <laughs> the, the outrage and all this sort of stuff. But actually, it played into the hands of the people who were performing because it gave them a push and gave them um, a, a place in the market, in a sense. When it broke, I mean, it, basically, it um, it broke all the bounds um, that I, I mean. For instance, I'm, I'm, I, the reason I'm, I remember this, I'm talking to you now um, because I'm in Norway at the moment, staying at my friend's house, and I came and we've been very good friends now for 53 years because I came and did hair in Norway because there weren't many, there weren't any black people, so I was imported <laughs> because I'd done the London production and. Um, it, it changed a lot of things over here as well with, with, with people because um, just like in London, the same people, there were the, the antiest, all the people like from the church were outside protesting on the opening night here at the local in Bergen at, at, um, at, the, at the local theatre. Same at the Shaftesbury Theatre in London. There were people, Mary Whitehouse, remember? I mean, all those people, it was a furore. Aurora, it's quite extraordinary what it did around the world. London must have been a really fascinating and interesting place at that time because the community of artists was fairly small. So I presume in a lot of ways you bumped into other people all the time. What was what was London, what was special about London during that period of the late 60s? Looking looking back, I mean it without realizing it we, we, it became part of our lives because it was just so it, it really it was quite exciting and it was noisy loud brash um but um, so much was going on artistically really and and musically um that you again you just landed in you there and you, and you just did something there were lots of things that also weren't I, I remember some nights especially on a friday and a saturday um because on friday and saturdays we had two shows together with half an hour in between. So we did four shows in a block and that was quite exhausting. The first the first two or three weeks was exciting, but after that it takes its toll. But I, I remember um, one of my great friends was Marsha Hunt and we used to stand, Marsha had this huge hair. My hair grew eventually, but I started with very short hair. And, um, but as within six months of being in the show, I, I, I became a hair person as well. And at, at, on Saturday, Saturday, Friday and Saturday nights, we couldn't get taxis outside the Shaftesbury. They just turned their lights off as soon as they saw us. So moments like that were quite tough. So we had to organize um, getting home together. Um, Elaine Page was in the show and she lived near me in Palmer's Green Barnet, so she would drop me off. So we, we got certain things that we knew that we went in. And if you stayed out at nights, which I, I did, I went out a lot and I ate a lot in, 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 because after the shows, I just, I had too much energy. <laughs> and so um, I enjoyed the nightlife. <laughs> I mean, restaurants were where you met everyone. Yes, restaurants, we, we, we met a lot of people in restaurants and I spent a vast amount of money in restaurants as well. <laughs> One thing that stuck out to me when I, you know, read about you and the roles that you've taken on, and I wonder whether you took them on because of the roles or because of the music, because you've taken on quite a lot of pioneering roles. HUD, for example. Then you've got the role in Girl Boy in 1972, which was a sort of pioneering queer movie. Yeah. Frankenfurter, the Rocky Horror yeah. Show. Um, and you even played the Acid Queen, didn't you, in 2017? I mean, yes. it's, these, are, these are really exceptional roles. And I wonder whether you chose things because of the role or you choose things because of the music? A combination of both. I mean, Tommy was one of the great things that I did um, after Hair, really, which, which is 
quite a long time after here, but um, uh, my friend Helen Montague, who was the producer, she she spoke to me and she said, look, I would love you, darling. She was she's Australian. God bless her. She's gone to do this show. And and we, we, we made the deal, actually, um, uh, on New Year's Eve in a club. <laughs> and I said, yes, I'll do it. And um, and I started rehearsing and, and it, it was it, that's the first time I did it when I did it in the West End at, at the Queen's Theatre. And and it was great. And then, I, and then I met Pete Townsend, and he was he's a force to be reckoned with, as as the world knows. And and I was just lucky. And and you learn a lot. And and Roger Dorje I met, and John Entwist. I mean, I I yeah, it, it it was all of those times. And and there were a whole lot of people in in, in those days because I met, and but I didn't realize I had met him until much later. But uh, people like Lionel Bart you know, who wrote Oliver and stuff like that. And um, it's just, it's just a, a purpuri of people and you just meet people and you talk and you sit down, you eat and you drink and it's, yeah. I don't think it's changed that much, do you? Oh, I don't I just, think, I don't meet that many people. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> But uh, anyhow, I think this interview is about you. <laughs> Let's go back to after after hair because that is when you also started um, recording. Um, yes. How was that period for you? Was it something that you really wished to be a recording artist, or were you more of coming from this acting direction and, and wanting to be an actor? I don't think I wanted to be a recording artist. I could I could sing, and so my manager was he's quite pushy and good. I'm glad he was. And uh, working in in hair, I also met um, the great Peter Knight Jr., who um, was with Polydor. And David said, "Look, why he should start recording?" And I said, "Well, yes, let's start recording." And so we did a whole heap of singles in 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 those in that time period in about about three or four years. Um, and some of them were good and some of them weren't. And I, 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 I had a lot of problems with the BBC. They never played any of my stuff, basically. And if you weren't on one of those playlists, basically you're a dead duck. And that is when I, th I think it's still going on now. And I don't say this with any um, rancor or anything. It's just the system it is. And if you ain't lucky enough to be played, Nobody hears of you, and that is the end of you. So it's very, I think it's also very difficult for a lot of artists who, who actually have this craving to do things. And when you just, somebody at the top of some structure just decides that's not good enough. And, and, and actually, I, 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 that's the only thing I wish could, we could change in, in, in the music industry. But um, it's not, it, it is it's ever thus, and you just have to live with it, or you you just don't bother. A lot of it's down to timing, though, isn't it? Because it depends on what sort of music you're doing and what is deemed in at the time, yes, and yes. what they're willing but to who, play. But uh, but somebody somebody has made themselves the the arbiter of taste. So that's an interesting idea as well. So uh, yes, it's a combination of everything. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's. Um, yeah, my thing is if if you're not there, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean it's it's bad or or it's it's not worth it. You just it, you're just left on the sidewalk to drown. <laughs> <laughs> drown you did not. That's absolutely <laughs> sure. How did you get to work with the Alan Parsons project? Um, they um, um wasn't he, he? They approached me and asked me. They liked my voice. And he just said, would I come? And we went um, and, and did, did this work at, 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 at Abbey Road Studios, which was just fantastic. And I did it over two or three nights to days and, and it was great. And that was a great experience as well because um, it came from nowhere and I didn't know anything about the Alan Parsons project at the time. <laughs> Because again, I was young. I just didn't, and you know, I wasn't. Um, there's certain things you know, and certain things you didn't. And then I found out about it, and then that that was a great experience. I love that. And in fact, I've just I've been working this year. Probably I shouldn't. Um, with Andy Mitchell, I mentioned him because he's he is great, and and we're I'm going to redo it. I think, but I don't know if I should have said that. But there you are. I've done it. I've said it. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and, and at Abbey Road as well. We're doing it in Abbey Road as well, which is quite remarkable. I mean, obviously, a lot of your 
interviews center on one of your best friends or your best friend in the in the uh, in the seventies, um, oh, yes. and and Freddie Mercury, of course. Yeah. So, could you tell me about the moment that you met him and what your connection was? I met him in a restaurant in Fulham Road, and it used to be it used to, it's called Provans. And it was next, I can say this next to a um, next to a cemetery. The Provans was next because Provans, as I remember, was a long restaurant restaurant. And I think this is where they put the bodies in in the more before they put put it into thing. And it was a very successful restaurant. And um, I was there with my then manager at the time called David Evans. And Freddie was there with John Reed, who managed Queen, as you know, and Elton John. And they were leaving the restaurant and we had just arrived and we sat down. It was one of those, this is Freddie Mercury, this is Peter Straker, this is David, like that. And we said hello to each other. Freddie was in his furs, like, <laughs> like that. And so, um, and we just said hello to each other and it was all right. And then we met again subsequently about a week later um, in another restaurant with eat and um, called, uh, September, which was opposite Provans, and where a lot of rock and roll people went, um, and I, we were in there, and we met, and we met through some mutual friends, and said hello to each other, and then joined tables, and then we just started to go out and meet, and everywhere we went, we sort of met, and we became we became pals. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. As a performer on stage, um, he was larger than life. He was an enormous, yeah. you know amazing character who could connect to everyone in the audience through his massive personality on stage. What was he like in private? Um. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Privately, he was highly intelligent, obviously, and he he loved um, he loved music, theater, um, opera, ballet. I mean, everything. All the things that 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 I we I liked, and as few of us liked, and and also um, tennis and football and things. We used to play tennis together because I was a, I was a member of the, of the club called Hurlingham Club which my manager, she was a member and we used to go in and play tennis there. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a famous club, Hurlingham. It, it, it's, it's where the pre-Wimbledon and everything. And I get a lovely story is um, they, they, they called um, Clodo, my manager, and she said, could you ask uh, your client, um, uh, Peter Straker and his friends, if they, wouldn't, if they could wear not such short shorts? <laughs> We were trying, because it, it was really a bastion of, of, of establishment, <laughs> so we, we we had to dress down. <laughs> Those seventies tennis shorts were very short. Yes, they were. They were short. It's like football. So uh, um, with all of that, we know, um, and that's I think why Freddie and I got on very well because even when he was touring and stuff, we'd speak to each other on the phone because he was sometimes in New York and 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 and, and one of the Grand Slams was on and we'd talk about all. So. It, it, I was lucky. We just had a nice, a mutual interest in 
quite a wide range of, 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 of stuff. So how come did it, or how did it come about that he produced um, your music? Or I he, asked him. What directly? You just said. Yes, I just said to him one day, listen, um, would you produce an album for me? And this was in my flat in, in Hurlingham Road. And I remember, and he said, um, he said, well, I'd love to, because he'd been to see me singing and stuff with, with my band. And he said, I'd, I'd love to, but he said, I don't think I'm the right person at this stage because um, Queen, he said, aren't very, because of punk, punk rock, that sort of glam, that big bombastic thing was not fashion. He said, when our records aren't being played and everything, I said, I don't care. I said, I'd love you to produce it. So produce it. So um, um, my friend uh, John Reed brokered the deal with EMI Records, and we had a three option, three deal to thing to do. Um, and and then Freddie said, "Would you mind if um, Roy Thomas Baker does it with me? Because I've never produced a whole album before." And so we went in <laughs> into the studio, and 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 the, and the first album we did together. It was great fun. I learned a lot because I knew nothing about recording. I mean, I'd done singles and stuff before, but not not making an album. And we decided to do, I said, well, what should we do? He said, well, what you should do is um, learn to write songs. He said, that's where the money is. <laughs> and um, I, I started to write a little bit and he helped a, a, a little. And um, but we decided that we we're going to, to do an album with the stuff that I was singing and performing at the time, because I just like, uh, I, I've probably against, it might be to my detriment, but I, I like, I'd like doing slightly difficult things and, and, and not going down just the norm. I quite like entertaining. And I just found that the, the, the stuff that we were doing working in clubs and going to the festival Edinburgh festivals and stuff like that people really liked because it was eclectic and it was a combination of stuff that I had written that Michael Allison my um, guitarist and co-producer and very good pal worked together and and, and Freddie said I think well, let's do an album that shows the stuff that you've been doing because he, he and Queen they came up to see me in Edinburgh as well and he said let's do that on, and put that on the album. So it was quite a, it was quite a, a, a thing. And, and I suppose at the time, it's, nobody in the seventies wanted that. They wanted, the, they wanted the, 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 the punk rock, but I didn't care. I was, I was very proud of, of the albums that I did then. And I was lucky, I thought, to work with some very great um, producers. And, and I mean, Roy Thomas just, Baker. It's incredible, yes. isn't it? Three of the biggest Queen albums, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> and when you say that no one, you feel that no one wanted uh, your music at the time, no one actually wanted Bohemian Rhapsody at first, did they? Yeah, no, they didn't. But then I suppose Kenny Everett was the person who really broke, I'm guessing, I remember, because he kept playing it on his, his programme on Capital Radio. Did you remember? Um, nearly every weekend. And, and, and I became good friends with, Ke with Kenny as well because he tried to break a couple of my records as well. Um, but we had trouble. <laughs> I, I'm, I have a lot of theories, but I don't want to go into that now. Let, let's, let's be jolly. Okay. How, um, I mean, people often ask um, when they've met some of these, you know, massively iconic people, in, in the world, you met, uh, I think you met Bowie as well. You, obviously, Freddie Mercury, you were a uh, close friend. They often ask what you learned from them, but what do you feel that Freddie Mercury learned from you? I have no idea. Probably, um, probably looking back a lot more about theater and, and, and um, theater going to the theater and um we we went to the theater we went to see something called let my people go let my people come i think it's a show um and i i i remember this very vividly we went out um out into the street to in the interval to have a drink because it was so full and i said come on let's go and have a drink and and at, at the end of the inter interval we were going back into the theater and freddie said to me I, I can't go back in. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? I said, he said, I've left the place. I can't go back in. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? So we never went back to see the second half of the show. 
So I had to tell him that, in fact, you do, you can leave the theater and come back in because you have your ticket, it's your right of passage. And it's one of those lovely, naive, I was furious at the time, we, we, uh, you know, but that's it. And Mr. Mercury said he's not going back into the theater and we'd gone together. So it's, it's <laughs> so we left. So um, little things like that, but then that, that was, that's just funny. That's just one of those funny incidents. But the theatre, because I, I went, I, I went to see a lot of theatre. I was going to see lots of theatre. I went to national theatre and stuff. So he came, and he, he came to see lots of stuff that I was in, performing in the theatre. I mean, I mean, he travelled. I, I did a, I did a, a strange musical up in Newcastle, and he, he came up that day. His, his, his chauffeur, and they came up, saw the show, and 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 we and we had dinner. And he came back to London. He went to Sheffield when I did the Wiz. He came up for the opening night and stayed overnight in the hotel. And we, so he is, from, from as a as a friend. I mean, he was really um, just looking back. And I haven't I haven't spoken about this for I haven't spoken about. Um, I, I just didn't realize he came down to Bristol to see me in um, doing Julius Caesar. And he, so he would he would just drive anywhere if he was not working and just turn up, which is what friends do anyway. He had all these diverse. Uh, interests which were you know like obviously later on doing Barcelona he had a, an interest in opera uh, which came you know into Bohemian Rhapsody were you around at these high points in his life you know when Bohemian Rhapsody just became the biggest song on the planet or I, when... I wasn't I wasn't then because I just got to know him when Bo Rap was becoming big and I remember going the first time I saw Queen on stage was that um, Christmas when Bo Rap was big, and that's the first time he invited me. And um, were you there um, at Live Aid? Yes, I was. Yeah, yes, I was at Live Aid, and that was fantastic. I remember I had to leave early at Live Aid, but I saw them go on because I was doing a show at the Theatre Royal Stratford East, and it, it, it's just because we we'd Live Aid, and then all of a sudden I realised that it was getting late. And I was due to perform with um, 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 the other actors, Belinda Lang, uh, Fiona, Fiona Hendy, and, and George Costigan. And I left and my driver was taking me and we got stuck in traffic. And Stratford East from Wembley is quite a, a, a journey. And I called and, and I phoned and I said, listen, I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make the um, thing. And, and there were no understudies. <laughs> so uh, they went in and asked the audience, which is very nice. They said I was stuck at Live Aid and would they wait? So they gave them drinks and an hour later we went up and had a ball, but that that was Live Aid, <laughs> that's what I remember. And then after that, we then went on to a club. I, I went back to Freddie's house and then we went on to, um, David, David Bowie came over and then we all went on to a club to celebrate. Live Aid somewhere else, yeah, yeah, yes, so I was there. Fantastic, I mean, um, the 80s, they had two, the 80s had two sides to it for me. Um, you know, uh, I was in London and I would go to gay clubs and friends would disappear. Do you know what I mean? You'd go to a club yes. and you'd communicate with someone, the week later they weren't there and then six months later, because you didn't know them necessarily well, six months later you find out that they, had died. Yeah. How difficult were the 80s for you in that way? I'm not saying this just because of um, Freddie, but I, I, I think it was such a difficult period for, for, for many of us during that era. I think it was, I, th I think the reason it's, it was so difficult is it was something that, first of all, we didn't understand. If, if, if you almost make a, a comparison to today, uh, the pandemic, nobody understood what was going on. We still don't understand what happened in the last three or four years. And um, th that's bringing it up to date. Nobody understood. We heard you get the headlines of this awful gay plague and it's men and it's this and all. And, and um, um, again, that's what the papers write about. They're still doing it. There's a war happening now. And, 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 and the, the stuff that's coming out, I, I can't watch it anymore. In, in, it's awful. Any war is awful. But um, it, it's the way it's reported, and especially in, in the West, how it's reported. Some things are reported. Um, it, it, it was 
terrifying because a lot of people that you knew just did just disappeared and they died very quickly and some people lingered and they and they went through hell um so some of my actor friends well uh, quite a few died in charleston and people i it's and it, it, it's something that i still still very difficult to grasp because and, and of course there was no um, um medication uh, they, they, you know stuff wasn't happening but they were trying to do it as quickly as possible but then it did work for some and it didn't work it, it didn't work and some people were just unlucky i suppose what in the long that? run that's that's with life and death some of us are lucky we're alive and we're fairly healthy some of us are alive and we're not healthy and and it's 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 a lottery can you remember the last time you saw freddie yes that's all i'm going to say <laughs> okay what yes. memory sticks in your head because if i think about people i've known that have passed you know or particularly my mother the memories change after their death that you actually hold on to different things as it goes along do you know what i mean it's like yeah. you don't remember the last time you know, it's, it's uncomfortable and I completely understand that but you remember something else so what sticks in your head as if you if you think about him what comes up um um life comes up it's just um the the joy of life and and just living and just living the moment and the time and that's, I, I, I still try and do that as much as possible for my, just from my, and that's what I remember about him and about a lot of other people who, who I've lost and who I've loved, like my mother. I remember certain things about her and, and, and um, my aunts and, and, and people that you, you, you're very close to. Um, usually, uh, most of the time, really a, a good time, a, an enjoyable time and, and really great fun and hope and joy and living. I mean, we moan, we moan. I moan like fuck, you know, but I, I still I still try and live and, and, and I still try and enjoy myself. And when I say enjoy myself, I don't mean that in a flippant way, but just enjoy being alive. And that's that's all I can do to justify my being. So with all my moaning and my blah, blah, and I do moan, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I just try and I just try and I just try and and just look at the good things in, in life. I mean, I'm I'm sitting in my friend's house now, and we just you can't see it, but just overlooking. It's very dull day, but there's a just water and fjords and mountains all around, and it's just it's stunningly beautiful. And you just go, well, you know what? I'll take part of that, and I, I, I've experienced this, and this is a good day. Well, you, you've experienced so much. I mentioned, you know, you obviously met Bowie. You were friends with Donna Summer. Can you tell me about, I mean, I watched that the, the documentary recently on, I think it was on Netflix about or Amazon on Donna Summer. Wonderful documentary. And it brought up so many memories for me in terms of her music and re remembering her as a character on stage. What was, and, and in that um, documentary, it showed very much two sides of her. The, the, the sort of God-fearing side, the, the yes. one who had a strong belief. And then this this other person who would be singing these sex very sexual, sexual <laughs> songs, yeah. Yes. What was she like as a person? She was great. She was a wonderful person. I met her. I met her actually again in Hair because I was in Hair in London, and she came to the stage door, and she was in German here in Munich. She and her boyfriend at the time, and um, they came and they saw the show in the afternoon, and um, this is what Hair did to lots of people. Uh, she came and we, I, I, and then she stayed in the, my dressing room, um, in our dressing room, the boys' dressing room. And um, at the end of the show, I said, let's go to dinner. We went to dinner. And then the next day we're staying in a hotel in Earl's Court. And I just said, you can't stay in the hotel, so come and stay with me. And in those days, that's what the hair people did. We just all just went, bloomp. And, the, so they, and they stayed with me then for the next six, seven days. And then and my, I had a one bedroom flat and there were a lot of people staying and just people just, and it, it's 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 something that still, in a strange way, still goes on. You just get on with it, and and that. So she was wonderful, and we just stayed friends all those years. And she was very successful. And sometimes she came to London, and she would ring me up, and I'd go to her concerts, and 
and um, we'd go out shopping and lots of stuff. And she, when she had the children and they're growing up, I didn't see her too much because um, if when you have children, you, you, your attention goes to, the, to to children. But we we got and I went to stay with her, stay with her and Bruce um, in in Tennessee when where they lived. And in fact, we recorded something together, and I've only just found it. And I'd forgotten I had it. So um, I don't know yet, but we, we just did something that she'd written for me, she and Bruce. And I don't know, we, we, I found it. So I've got to speak to him. It might be interesting, it might not be. But no, it was great. I was very sad when when she died because I didn't realize she was there. But she didn't, she said she didn't want me to know and other people, to, certain other people to know. And that's her prerogative. And um, yeah, that was a shock. One of the- and she's greatly missed. One of the great loves of your life has been Jacques Brel's music. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Tell me why. Um, when I first saw pictures and films of him performing, passion, the absolute passion and belief in what he did and what he sang. And in a way, I try and do that. I, I'd like to think I try and do that in, in music, um, to be honest. I'd just like to think that's what I... Um, if you don't have a passion, if you don't believe in what you're doing, however wrong it might be, or however, then it's a waste of time. And I've wasted time as well. So, <laughs> like most people, so, you know, no, no, yeah. Just passion, the passion of the man. It's just, I wish I'd met him and I could have met him. And and I was I was... Do you know when you know people, or you, I was in such awe, and I didn't go to Paris. I just found a way of not going, and so stupid. I, I'd like to shoot myself now, but I wouldn't. I won't. <laughs> How much does age, experience, and the development of your voice play into being able to perform those types of songs better today than you could have performed them when you were younger? Well, I did start young, and I didn't know what I was singing about, but then so did he. I mean, basically, when you think, there's one of the great songs he's written, it's called Namikitapa, um, If You Go Away. I mean, he wrote that at the age of 19 or 20. And that's spent time. So I, I was singing these songs when I was young. Now it, uh, they, they mean uh, um, a, a, a lot more to me. I'm, this year, I'm, I'm of a certain age. People, they're talking about it. I just won't, I won't put numbers on ages. They can say and believe whatever they do. Um, but I'm doing two of his songs uh, for, uh, to celebrate this birthday um, on the 26th of October. I'm performing at um, Lascaga in, in, in London. It, it, it's it's a, one of those highly priced, prized, priced things. And, and the, the money is a charity, which I, is very close to my heart, is, is um, the Chelsea Pensioners, uh, the Chelsea Hospital Fund, and, and the money is going there. And um, Dan Llewellyn's um, um, hall has done a portrait of me and it's being unveiled and I'm singing and sort of stuff. And I'm reworking um, two of his songs to do. And when I just realized how difficult it is even, even now trying to do it, but it's a challenge. Listen, Steve, we have to challenge ourselves all the time. And if you don't, well, you might as well be dead. Exactly. I mean, I should end there because that's a perfect ending. But I want to talk about the single that you have out, which is called ah. Just Spend This Night With Me. <laughs> just Spend. Have you heard it yet? I have. I've just listened to it just oh. before. Um, oh. So it's something that's been it's been modernized in a sense. It's been made into a sort of dance um, yeah. version. What was the thinking we've, behind that? We've had a lot of um, it, it's, it's had a lot of. Um, it's had a lot of, it's gone through a lot of stuff. When I first did it, I think, I've gosh, I think it was in the 90s. Um, it's just a song that I'd written, mostly, and, and Michael Allison, uh, uh, right, we, we worked it together. And um, it, it came up, and I, and I can say, because um, one of my friends is um, Rolf Skogstrand in, in, in Norway, and he, 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 he said to me, that's a really good song, and he's a good musician, he's a good song. So I did do it, and so we did it a couple of times, and then, I've done it in different forms. And, and then we decided this year, I said, Michael, I said, let's do this song. It, it, everybody seems to like it when we perform it. So let's find a different way. So I re-recorded, I did a new vocal and um, we did it. We, we knew what we wanted to do. And then Michael just 
honed it together, um, my producer, Michael Allison, and it's now what it is, and I'm very pleased with it. I very rarely say that, but I'm quite thrilled with it. It's it's all right, whether anybody will play it, because if it, if you can't get on a playlist somewhere, as, as we said, and um, I haven't got a huge high profile in real terms of sort of, but I, I like it and I love it. And I love the thumping bass to it. I just love it. So yes, please. It's been wonderful to meet you, Peter Straker. And what I love about you is your energy, your positivity, even though you moan sometimes, I haven't seen that side of you, but your positivity. You don't want to see it. <laughs> and the way that you're also, you seem to be looking into the future. And, and what's really interesting is being able to use such a sort of wonderful back catalogue. And the other thing I love about you is your voice. It's one of the most incredible voices. And I think it's a gift. And uh, thank you for sharing that gift. Peter Straker. Oh, thank you, Steve. That's very kind of you, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's grand, grand to talk to you. And thank you. Thank you. Up there is an interview I recommend. Down there is where you can find all the podcast interviews. And here is where you can connect. made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, it's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. At Sleep Outfitters Outlet, great sleep is a big deal. Save 40 to 60% every day on every Sealy, Stearns & Foster, and Tempur-Pedic. Queens as low as $249. Customer exchanges, closeouts, and floor samples. Inventory changes daily, so come in for your dream deal today. With no credit needed financing, expert advice, and up to 60% off retail, it's never been easier to get the sleep and savings you deserve. Go to sleepoutfittersoutlet.com for financing details and to find a store near you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 